guys, Mike Crockett here with the third episode of WPAN The Interviews. So I told you last week to watch out in our social media, and if you did, you saw that the band got back together on Facebook last Tuesday night. Brian Malonis, Brian Fury, and myself were live on Facebook for an hour, getting caught up with each other and interacting with you guys out there. If you missed it, you can still go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the WPAN and see the pinned post. You can watch the whole hour there anytime you want. And make sure to like the page while you're there. And while you're at it, follow on Twitter and subscribe on YouTube because we're just bored enough to do more of these things. So now on to this week's classic WPAN interview. WrestleMania, like you've never seen it before, takes place this weekend over two nights. And one of the guys that works the hardest behind the scenes leading up to the showcase of the Immortals is our old pal, Mikazi. Now, Mikazi was an independent wrestler in New England and a former Chaotic Wrestling champion before he took his side gig of making gear and turned it into his full-time job with WWE. So in 2017, Brian Malonis and I chatted with him about his wrestling life and his new life as WWE costume designer. And in fact, it was our most downloaded interview of all time, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that his wife, Sasha Banks, retweeted it. Nothing at all. Still, though, at the time, we were on a network, so if you were just subscribed to this feed, you could have missed it. So for those people, and anyone else who wants to listen to it, here it is from December of 2017, our interview with WWE costume designer Makazi on WPAN, The Interviews. All right, we are joined by a New England guy, a guy who we worked with in a number of promotions, including Chaotic Wrestling, where he is actually a Triple Crown champion. But he left it all behind to go where the real money is, costume designing for WWE. Uh, <laughs> you've, seen it, you've seen him on Up, Up, Down, Down, and now you're hearing him on the wrestling podcast about nothing. It's our pal, Makazi. Hello, sir. What up, y'all? It's good to talk to you guys again. It's been a long time. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, we all kind of uh, kicked around chaotic wrestling for a while, and... Uh, I mean, everyone knows, I think, that you are a professional wrestler. Uh, uh, you're out of the game right now, though, right? Uh, yeah, out of the hiatus. I like to tell people, like, you know, never say never. But, you know, I, I get offers sometimes to go, like, work shows in New England again. And I'm always like, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll see how things go. But, you know. <laughs> you don't want to come up here now, uh, Mikazi. It's like, what, is, is it, like, is it like a wasteland? It, no, well, no, no. The, the indie scene is good. I was just talking about, like, this time of year. It's, it's freezing cold today why not i love like i'm a new england guy i love that kind of weather <laughs> well i'll trade with you then <laughs> okay i have this i have this wool jacket that's in my closet and the only time i get to pull it out is whenever i go like overseas to the uk or when we do shows in the new england in the winter but like it pains me not to be able to put on my bruins uh scarf all year round it sucks you're not like one of these Floridians who, like, it's 70 degrees and you pretend it's cold out? <laughs> well, I, okay, so, yes, no, not, I want to say yesterday. A couple of days ago, we were in L.A., and I was walking around in jeans and a T-shirt, completely fine. And there were people there in, like, wool jackets with sweaters and uh, scarves on. It, had, it was T-shirt weather for me, but it had to be, like, 65. <laughs> and I was just walking around like, whoa, like, these guys are really, like, freezing up. People were like, buttoning their jackets all the way up to their neck. Yeah, it's crazy. 65 is short weather around here. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's that's comfortable for me. That's I'll walk around Boston all day in that weather. 
Well, uh, Mikazi, I'm glad we got you before Mania season. I know that's your crazy time of year. I said in the top, you're a costume designer, uh, but some people are still stuck. They, they talk about a seamstress or a seamster. Now, how do you feel about that terminology as opposed to costume designer? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, okay. Technically, seamstress. Uh, seems. I don't know if seamstress is an actual word. I think it's just something <laughs> that people made up that sounds right. But like, right. technically, yeah. Technically, I'm hired to be backstage and like do seamstress work. Where if anything needs to be repaired or if anything needs to be worked on for that night, like that's what I do. So technically, seamstress works. I work in the seamstress area, but like my forte is costume designing, designing gear, you know, fabricating it, you know, all that stuff. So. Now you are you just on the road for televisions and pay per views, or yeah. When when I'm on the I'm on the road. Basically, anything that's like televised pay per views, TVs, I'm backstage at. Haven't been backstage at any of the live events or anything like that. I don't do backstage at any of the takeovers, though. Sometimes you'll find me back there just watching. But that's where you started, right? You started doing stuff at the NXT level, right? Well, okay. So when I was in NXT, when uh, Mercedes or you know Sasha Banks, to the lay person. Uh, when she got signed to NXT, I quit my job at Friendly's back in Massachusetts and moved down to Florida with her. And, you know, for the first year, I just I didn't have a job. I just stayed home and did whatever I could uh, help her and support her in any way possible to help her dream come true. And uh, I eventually just started making her gear. And pretty soon, you know, guys just need gear all the time. And the more gear guys you have, the better. So I just was asked by a couple of guys to start making gear it was i think percy watson and mojo were the first couple of guys besides mercedes next thing you know i was doing about you know half to 60 percent of the roster and then uh one year uh, i think it was 2015 the wrestlemania in santa clara i had heard that they wanted to hire me just to come in and help out with mania that year because you know things get crazy during that time of year and I was actually doing extra work in Tampa and Orlando at the time. And I got pulled aside by Carano and Triple H. And they asked me if I wanted to come in for two months to just help out with the Mania uh, time. So I did that. It was really good, really fun time. And, you know, when that two months was up, they were like, hey, we want to extend your contract for another year if you're up for it. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I had a lot of fun. Let me do that. And they extended me again and again. And next thing you know, like it's been almost three years that I've been there now and it's going strong. That's great, man. Isn't that funny how, you know, much like me and Crockett, you're out there on the indies, you're busting your hump, you're taking, you're taking bumps, you're going to TVs. And then, and, and that's this is the thing that a lot of people don't realize is if you love this business, if, if you truly just love this business and want to be a part of it and want to have a job in professional wrestling, there are jobs out there, which is great. You get to be a part of, uh, of the business still and, 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 that's a great thing, at least from my standpoint. It's 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 awesome that you know you get to be a part of this and a part of that that machine. That's fantastic. Oh yeah, like there's tons of guys that like recognizable guys that you know work backstage. You know their their in ring career is over, but they still have you know spots doing things backstage, producing guys like you know Dean Malenko, Scott Armstrong, guys producing. Um, Billy Kidman works on the production side. Like a lot of guys who just want to be involved in the wrestling business. When the in ring time stops they still find a way to be a part of the business. And I think that's what shows like the people that really have a love for this because you got to have a love for this business. Yeah. And the more different ways you can contribute to wrestling, the better chance you have, like, like with you of getting a job in professional wrestling. And it's, I mean, it's a great spot to be in right now, I think. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, when I was coming up on the Indies, like I pretty much did everything I could in order to give me an edge as far as being in the wrestling business. Like, you know, when, when I graduated high school, 
and I had been training at the time, I went to broadcasting school because I knew that might help me as far as acting and on-camera work in wrestling. I started acting while I was down in Florida. I was acting in short films, starring in a couple of short films. So I knew that would help me. As far as making gear goes, when I started training, I was a senior in high school. So I took a sewing class because the Hardy Boys were big at the time and Matt made their gear. So I figured if he could do it, I could do it. So I just parlayed a little small sewing class that taught me how to use a machine into you know a career that I have now where I'm you know, it's very lucrative and it keeps me in the business that I love. And, wh- and while you were wrestling, you didn't have to rely on waiting on some of these gear makers who seemingly hate to take your money. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Like I used to see people like the fighting that goes into, you know, getting good gear. And I mean, good gear. Like when I started, I didn't make great gear at all, but like I would make gear for my friends. I would test out new techniques on myself. So, you know, Gear is just, it's very hard to come by and finding a good gear person is like, it's like hitting gold. So a lot of guys, you know, they'll just try out everyone in order to see who they can, you know, work with. And when they find someone they like, they try to stay there with that person. But I mean, it's long hours, hard work. So I can see how some gear guys just get burnt out after a while. Yeah. You know, hey, Mike, you know, I had a guy and uh, he went off and got a job with the WWE. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in a nice pair of black and yellow uh, pants that had the, uh, the little bit of a Steelers feel to it. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were one of the go to guys backstage in terms of, uh, you know, getting gear made, especially on the quick, because, yeah, like you said, all these guys that have uh, long queues of stuff going all the way back that, you know, it takes forever to get gear done. But uh, would you consider that back at that time like a small business or were you just kind of uh, having fun and just kind of tinkering around? For me, it was just a hobby. I liked making gear for my friends. And like, it was also a way for me to just test out new techniques. Like if I'd never made a pair of biker tights before and I wanted to try it out, I'd just make myself one. And then if I liked it, next thing you know, someone else asked me and you know, that leads into me making the Logan's gear. And uh, it's just, I wasn't the best businessman in wrestling. So I wrestled like 15 years and never had one piece of merch. But I would go to a show and I'd, you know, make 20, 50 bucks on a show. But then I'd walk away with a lot more money because I was delivering gear at the same time. So it was another way of just being able to come home with like enough cash in the pocket to fund my little wrestling uh, dream. so you said you're making like 20 to 50 bucks or whatever doing these independent shows and where did you start actually so i started training in the year 2000 summer 2000 uh, in chicopee massachusetts and i uh started with a good friend of mine mark rattel who's uh sterling mark silver or silver mark sterling smart mark smart mark sterling yeah he does a podcast with antonio thomas yeah, well, that, there you go, Tom. That's another guy that started with us. He's, he came in about a month after we did. Yeah, we started in this little warehouse in Chicopee under Kevin Landry and Johnny Idol, Aaron Morrison. We'd have to climb those five flights of stairs every uh, Tuesday and Thursday and just go take bumps with them and just learn the business. It was very uh, hard, hard times, but it worked out really well. Early on, like uh, you hooked up with Jason Blade and had a tag team for quite a bit. You actually did some stuff in Ring of Honor, right? Yeah. So that actually came about like really, really, I don't want to say awkwardly, but it was funny because, you know, Bobby Cruz had gotten, who was the announcer for ROH, had gotten Jason Blade in there and they were really good friends and uh, they decided they wanted to use him as a tag team. So, you know, they asked Blade, anybody who'd 
he'd be able to tag team with that was he thought was good. So immediately he threw out my name. So I literally got brought in without even having to like try out or anything like that. And I remember the first match I had there, and I think it was in Wilmington, Connecticut or something like that. It went great. It was like the crowd reaction was really good. Uh, Gabe seemed to be really happy with it. I will say like, you know, they were expecting this high level tag team with all these double team moves, you know, just high level action from us. And in all honesty, like our first match in ROH was maybe the third time we'd ever tagged together. I mean, we were friends, but we had never actually like wrestled with each other a lot. And thinking back now, like my time in ROH, like I'll be the first to tell everyone that this wasn't the greatest for me as far as wrestling quality, because I was at that point in my career where I thought I was starting to make big moves. So I ended up wrestling too safe. I was wrestling not to mess up instead of wrestling, you know, the style I know that I can do. So I, I'll be the first to tell people that, yeah, like my quality of wrestling there wasn't what I could do. But at least you had matching gear, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We walked in, the gear was matching. It was awesome. <laughs> well, uh, the team of Mikazi and Jason Blade, that's actually what brought you to Chaotic Wrestling, right? Yeah, I, I, I believe, uh, what was it, Fat Pants? Yeah, Todd Sinclair. Okay, there, for the people that don't know, nicknames. <laughs> he was, uh, I think he was, he was like the head ref at ROH, but I think he was doing booking at Chaotic at the time. I think so, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Blade and I used to travel with him and Bobby Cruz to ROH shows, and he decided to bring us in for as a tag team in Chaotic, and that's what you know got me started there. And Chaotic ended up becoming like a second home for me, you know. I ever, ever since we got in there, I would just I stayed loyal to that crew from what was I think it was like 2005 until till the point that I left. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, you were a fixture there in Chaotic Wrestling for a long time, and of course, you faced a number of times one of the other fixtures in Chaotic Wrestling, our very own kickpin, Brian Malonis. Brian, <laughs> uh, you can be honest. He's right here, but you can be honest. How'd you feel about working with the, the great Mikazi? And not just because he's on this podcast, which you'll accuse me of doing, but legitimately one of my one of my favorite uh, favorite guys to to wrestle. I always felt like we had great chemistry and. Yeah, I never had a doubt when we went in there that it was going to be it was going to be something good and uh, always super creative ideas and obviously we kind of got that classic thing of big guy little guy going on but I thought we I thought we told some great stories and uh, I, I think it's me you might have defeated for the New England title is that correct <laughs> I think it was it was either you or Bauer one of the one of, I, it was one of the bigger guys but might have been both <laughs> were you multiple time uh, new I think I was multiple time New England champion multiple time uh, tag champion one time heavyweight champion actually my one of my favorite stories about chaotic which it actually has nothing to do with wrestling it was against you. So we were in the PAV and uh, we were going over our match. And I think someone was there that was like, he was one of your lackeys at the time. And I remember we were going over our match and I had pitched the idea of, you know, me going to the top, you follow me up, shot, 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 rolling powerbomb. And you were like, yeah, you know, I don't know if we should do that because that would look a little too contrived because I don't really go to the top. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that would look a little too like, you know, convoluted or whatever. And I remember the kid looking at us and he just... Like he had never heard words that big before. And he had this <laughs> dumbfounded look on his face. And it was hilarious to me. I was like, oh, I just, this kid literally just learned something right in front of my eyes. God, I hope it was Julian. <laughs> that sounds like Julian Star to me. I really don't remember who it was. I remember him just like, after we said that, he just goes, what are you guys talking about? And it just made me laugh. Like, yeah. we're gonna, well, for the, for the purposes, because he's been on this podcast previously, we're going to say it was Julian. <laughs> yes. Happily. <laughs> Julian, you just learned a couple like four syllable words there or something. 
Oh, he's long <laughs> forgot them by now. <laughs> he knows some four-letter words, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, you also found your way onto Monday Night Raw. Yes. That was actually really fun. Like uh, we in 2012, June 2012. I remember this clearly, and I'll tell you why, why in a second. But um, in June 2012, I got to do extra work at the XL Center in Hartford, and you know, back then they were doing the whole Ryback challenge, and where he would you know challenge two locals, and they ended up picking uh, myself and Scotty Slade, presumably because we were the smallest guys there. It also helped out that. At the time, guys like Hawkins and Fandango and Kofi were all on the roster, which they still are now. But like, I was all good friends with them just by traveling the indies with them coming up. So they all pitched for me to be used. And yeah, so they used us for the, uh, for the match. And I just remember being so nervous, like way more nervous than I should have been. I felt like I should have been ready for that moment, but it came and I was so nervous that I remember... I was just like pacing back and forth. I had only eaten like one lamb chop the entire day because I was so nervous that I had to cut a promo. Ugh. Uh, thinking back, it was a great experience, but I wish I hadn't been that nervous so I could take it in. I remember walking through the curtain and it was almost like tunnel vision. Like I could see the ring and everything clearly, but the crowd and everything else was just a big blur. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big thing. I mean, in addition to doing the match, like you said, you're doing a, you're cutting a promo on the way down to the ring. That's not really the usual kind of stuff for an extra. Well, yeah, like I tell people all the time, like on that day, it was my and my first time being an extra. I actually had got to make an entrance, cut a promo and have a match on Monday Night Raw. Like, and that's really unheard of as far as extras go. So very much so. (laughs) Yeah. So after that, you decided I'm done. That's enough. I did it all. Well, all right. So, so actually that's again, that's what I was going to tell you because at the time it hadn't been known for a while, but you know, Mercedes and I had been dating for a while. And maybe about a month or so before she had gotten the call that she was going to be, you know, picked up and hired and we were going to be moving to Florida for FCW. So like at the time, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with wrestling. And then all of a sudden that came and I got on TV and I got to do all those things on TV. So part of me thought, you know, that was almost like karma. Like, okay, you know what? You always wanted to be on TV for WWE and the moment just came. Now, if you felt like stepping back and just doing what you can to support her, it's good because you got the opportunities that you were looking for. So yeah, like I felt like I felt okay, you know, slowing down my wrestling career and just throwing all my support towards hers because I had always worked to be on WWE TV and I got that moment. It just happened to come literally a month or two before we moved down to Florida. So I always felt like that was, you know, the world telling me, okay, it's time to switch the gears around to more important things. That's awesome, man. I mean, the one thing I will say is, is for those of uh, you know those people listening that aren't familiar with you, a, a fantastic in-ring performer, uh, and a guy who, if you had continued your wrestling career, I have no doubt with the way things are working today, I, th- I think you'd be either on the indies or, or or someplace else. I think you'd be doing all right if you had continued. But that's uh, you know that's commendable to support somebody in that way. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it kind of felt like the universe was telling me that because when I got to Florida. I hadn't been doing much of anything, just, you know, making gear and helping Mercedes out. And then I started taking up indies down here again. And I started building a name for myself in Florida, wrestling in Miami and Tampa and all that stuff. And it was starting to go good, too. You know, and then I got extra work again on uh, WWE. So I felt like it was starting to, like, snowball again. And the opportunity came again to, like, step away from wrestling and do something else within the wrestling industry. And, you know, me taking that, it kind of felt like, yeah, I wanted to be in wrestling, but the universe was telling me, hey, your place 
isn't inside the ring. It's in there, but away from the ring. So were you hired by WWE while you were still taking independent bookings or was that before you got hired? So I got hired by WWE uh, February of uh, 2015. And right before I started, like the week before, I had had a match with Chris Hero at Ronin in uh, Miami. It was a great match. Crowd went nuts for it. I had a blast working with Hero. And I felt like, okay, that's the best time to step away. Like that's a good match to step away from. I can step away with my head held high and just dive deep into making gear. Side note, like a week later, I was backstage at NXT just finishing up a shirt for Ty Dillinger. And they asked me like, hey, uh, so like, oh yeah, yeah, tag match between you and Jason Jordan and I, if you want. I was like, yeah, I ran home, grabbed my stuff. I was like, dude, I just wrestled 20 minutes with Hero the week before, a five minute tag match with Jordan, no problem. Next thing you know, end of the match comes, I get knocked out cold. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I went from leaving and resting on a high note to leaving on a low note. It was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it, I was fine. It wasn't. It wasn't too serious. I got back. I was completely fine. Recalled everything. Like no, uh, no, like residual effects or anything. It's just twenty seconds of my life blanked out like that. I don't remember. Oof. Yeah, it was you and Jordan and the Vaude villains, right? Yeah, I took a. And it was what what made me more upset. Not upset, but like it kind of like the spot came where I got knocked out. Like it was literally the last spot before the finish of the match. Like the match was going great. The crowd reaction was awesome. I was getting sub-zero chance. Uh, <laughs> so it was going good. And literally right before, like 10 seconds before the finish, that happens. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so. so the sub-zero chance, for people that don't know, you would wear like a half mask that like covered up to your nose, right? Yeah. So the beginning of my career from, say, 2001 to about 2000. Seven, I wrestled without a mask. You know, just normal guy, Asian guy, tights. I would go out wrestle. I'd do flips. You're a normal high flyer. And I remember one time when uh, I want to say Nova was uh, backstage at Chaotic. They were. It was right right when Kofi got uh, hired. Yeah. He had mentioned that he goes, yo, you should really dress to go out there, dress like Bruce Lee or something. Something that's a little more, you know, within the character. That something that gives a little more sense of character, so that the crowd can connect with you a little more. And I never really thought about that. And so, like, I started tossing around the idea of wearing a half mask because I'd always loved ninjas and stuff like that. And it just felt like it would give the crowd a reason to watch me and believe in what I do. Like, before that, I was just an athletic guy doing cool moves. But once I started wearing the ninja mask and acting in that way, I felt like it allowed the crowd to connect with me more. So when they saw me, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know what? He's a ninja. That's how ninjas normally move. So now they're taking the whole athletic thing out of the way and really paying attention to the story I was trying to tell. So I felt like it was a way for the crowd to really get you know emotionally connected. So that was your last match as of now, right? The NXT match that, that never even aired on TV, right? No, they ended up cutting that out. And I think they aired like a Finn Balor uh, package. Um, yeah, so as of right now, that's been my last match that I was. And that was about two and a half years ago. And like you say, never say never, right? Well, let's, let's just say I've gotten offers from very prominent places to be in prominent tournaments. I will, really? I will say which, but I ended up turning them down because it, the timing just wasn't right. I see. Huh. Hmm. So you said you started, you got a two month deal basically when you first started for WrestleMania season, I guess in 2015, right? Like you said, yes, sir. And how was it finding your place there uh, with the, the costume designers that are there already? Was it kind of a little awkward getting accustomed? Well, in all honesty, like, so the ladies there, they're actually one of the ones that 
pitched the idea of you know me joining them because uh, I think a few months before Mercedes had done a loop like it was like the after Christmas loop and uh, it was like the MSG show and she was backstage at Raw and she was walking by and they saw her jacket and her gear and they were like wow that looks awesome and they're like they asked her who had done it so she told them that I did and. When I went and did extra work, like the first time in Florida, Paige brought me by them and said, hey, this is, you know, Sasha's husband, whatever. And, you know, he, and they were like, oh, yeah, we saw the gear that you made. Sasha it was awesome. We loved it and all this stuff. And then when Mania time came around and they needed extra help, I remember them saying that they had like tossed the idea like, hey, why don't we bring Sasha's husband and try out and see what goes down there? And I've yet to have one issue with them. Like, I, I love working with Julie and Terry. They're amazing at what they do. I mean, they've been doing this for over 30 years they're, they're literally the first seamstresses that the company ever hired and just to show you their pedigree of what they can do like julie has right now she does everything for like orton but back in the day she pretty much made everything that Shawn michaels wore ever terry has made every single thing that the undertaker has ever wore like they are really good at what they do when you think about pro wrestling, it's the the gear. Gear is iconic when you think of the way people look and the things they wear, and it, and it's crazy the recall that you can have for guys who actually switch up their gear. That you can recall certain things they wear at certain events. You mentioned Shawn Michaels. You talk about like WrestleMania 12. He wore the the white gear. So it, the gear is something that is it's iconic. So speaking of WrestleMania 12, Shawn Michaels, so this past uh, Mania in Orlando, uh, Mercedes's jacket that she wore out there was inspired by Shawn's WrestleMania 12 gear. It was that the way his jacket was like almost it was like strappy and almost see through. And I remember I wanted to do something like that for Mercedes because it was so iconic to me. I just whenever you think of Shawn, to me, you think of that WrestleMania 12 outfit. Absolutely. So you say like beyond that sewing class that you took, do you have really no like professional training? I'm I'm completely uh, self-taught. Like sewing class basically taught me how to use a machine and everything else was just me buying fabric and teaching myself how to how to do things. Anytime I wanted to try something new, I would just make myself a new set of gear just to see how it would come out. Yeah, I mean, like trunks and tights are one thing, but jackets, that's like a whole another animal working with leather and all that kind of stuff. Does that just practice? So sometimes it's just, you know, going out there and trying it. I remember the first jacket that I made that actually got some, uh, well, I think it was the first jacket I made, period, but that got any kind of like traction as far as people seeing it was the first jacket that Mercedes wore in NXT. The It's the black one with the SB belt and the yep. uh, shoulder cutouts. I remember her just saying she wanted to get like a jacket that was, you know, bossy, that was blinged out, that can, you know, that she could wear out and people would be captivated by it. So I just said, I don't know how to do it, but I can figure it out. And I just figured it out. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because like, uh, again, this past... Uh, jacket for wrestlemania in orlando like normally we make patterns for our gear like you know i'll make a pattern for like Sami Zayn's tights and the next time i need to make his tights i'll just whip out my pattern i'll cut out the base and then everything else i'll figure out as i go but with that wrestlemania jacket the idea i had in my head was i it was wrestlemania 12 Shawn michaels and i wanted to use uh like a multicolor crystal look so i literally put the fabric on the ground grabbed a pair of scissors and I would look at it and I would start cutting. And I remember Julian Terry looking at me like, 
they're like, I have no idea how you did that without a pattern. Like you literally just grabbed the pair of scissors and started going to town. And next thing you know, you had that jacket. <laughs> that's, that's incredible i you're talking to probably two i'll speak for you i feel comfortable speaking for you here mike two guys with no talent when it comes to anything of this nature at all <laughs> it's it's crazy to me like sometimes yeah sometimes you just you just have to like dive into the deep end like i know of Plenty of times. Okay, one example would be Corey Graves. I was making his uh, skinny jeans when he was in NXT. When he first came to me, he goes, hey, you know, I wanted to do like skinny jeans that, you know, could stretch. And he's like, yeah, could you do that? I was like, yeah, yeah, hell yeah, I can do that. And as soon as he walked away, I was like, dude, I've never made jeans in my life. How am I going to do this? And, <laughs> and I remember just sitting there like trying to figure it out. And I just grabbed one pair of my jeans and started looking at it. I'm like, all right, like I have his measurements. I'm looking at my jeans. So I know how it should be set up. I said, I can do this. So I just Again, I figured it out. You're like the wrestling <laughs> gear rain man. <laughs> That's kind of how you got to do it. Like if you keep doing stuff you know how to do, you're never going to come up with anything new. And I, I, I kind of pride myself on like pushing the bar a little bit, like just testing my creativity. Sometimes they're going to be great. Sometimes they're not going to be. But the goal is to create something that's instantly recognizable and iconic to wrestling fans. Like nowadays, if you think of straps on the arm, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to think of Sasha Banks. There's just certain things. And that's what I want. I want to create something that people can look back at. and like, yeah, like that design is inspired by this person that like I created for it. Yeah, I mean, is, is it cool now to see, because in, in just thinking of Sasha, but you see basically, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands now of little girls who have bought her Halloween costume, and that's something that, that you helped create. How cool does that feel? It brings such joy to my heart to see that. Like, you have no idea. One of the coolest things I ever saw was when we got a chance to go to Mattel, and they showed us, you know, all the new Barbies they were coming out with, and... All of a sudden, they pulled back the curtain and they had all the Barbies and it had it had gear on there that I made and I was just like, wow! Like <laughs> some of my gears on a Barbie, like, dude, is this is this life? Like, it's crazy right now. <laughs> that Barbie is uh, sitting in my house uh, right now, <laughs> and it doesn't belong to me. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if it did, I wouldn't blame you. If you did, I wouldn't. Blame you. But like, and like seeing little girls not only wear her Halloween costume but take the time and effort to make their own little version of Mercedes's outfits. It's like, it's amazing to me to be able to inspire people so much that they take the time and effort out of their life to do that. It's just, it's, you, can, you can't ask for more. So something that I was always a little confused with when it came to the costume designers backstage, you're being paid by the company, but you're working with the talent, right? It's not something that's handed down from the office saying that we want this design. You're working directly with the talent, right? Sometimes, yes. Uh, well, most of the time, yes. Sometimes, no. A lot of times, it's the talent and me just sitting down. Sometimes they have a clear view of what they want. Sometimes they're not really sure what they want. So we'll just brainstorm and compromise and try to figure something out. But then other times, you know, if someone's getting a repackage, sometimes a company will hand you a uh, design and say, hey, this, this person's getting repackaged. This is what we want to do for them. Can you do it? And to me, it's not really a matter of if I can't do it, it's if I have time to, because nowadays I'm handling so many people's gear that you just don't have time to work on everything. But yeah, it's sometimes it's coming from the office. Sometimes it's coming from the person. You never know. And most of the time, once that first uh, look is out the door, 
then you can really start playing with it and trying to find a design that the person's comfortable with. So, you know, like one of the things recently was uh, Jason Jordan's one where he switched to the biker tights and, you know, we weren't sure where we wanted to go with it. So that first one kind of leaned directly towards the design that was given. Then after that, we started playing with the colors, adding a little bit of black trim, just making it really pop. So that it kind of like fit his skin tone a little better. But I feel like it's going to go in a really good direction. Pretty soon we're going to be able to start getting complex with it. Do you find yourself like you're working with different talents? Do you find yourself like just on your own kind of just starting to think about like, okay, what would look good on this guy? You're not, you're not even, they haven't even necessarily approached you, but you're just like brainstorming on your own, just getting inspiration. I literally find inspiration in everything. I remember just walking through like downtown, like San Antonio. And I remember looking at the inside of a hotel lobby and seeing something. I was like, dude, that's a really cool, like geometric shape. So I snapped a picture of it and, you know, that's just logged in. Eventually at some point I might find someone and say, Hey, you know, if I can use this geometric pattern on them, it would look really good. Uh, Other times I'll just see something and I'll snap a picture and I'll send it to them. Like, Hey, I saw this. I think this would look really cool with uh, one example would be the Usos. Their look now is very much street clothes. So a lot of times we'll just, if I see anything that I think they'll like, I'll snap a picture, send it to them. And if they like it, we'll try to figure out a way of incorporating it. That's tremendous. So what would you say a typical day is when you arrive at the building, like at raw at, when would you get there? Like uh, one, 2 PM? I usually get there about an hour before call time. I like getting there, setting up and grabbing something to eat before I actually have to start to work. And then most of the time I get in, I find out what needs to be done for that day for the show or for the company. So we'll take care of that, whether it's you know working on props for the show, fixing whoever's gear that needs to be fixed for the show, taking measurements. Then after all that's done, then I can start working on the projects that I'm working on as far as new wrestlers go or new gear. Uh, what most people don't realize is like, you know, it never stops for us. So the minute we leave the arenas and come back home, I come back home and I have my workshop at my house and I'm still working here. Like it's never ending. It's to the point where a lot of times you just have to make time for yourself because if you don't make time for yourself, you're going to be working 24 seven. And I alluded to it from the top of the uh, conversation here, but WrestleMania time has to be absolutely nuts, right? It should be the most nuts time. And it is because you know, that's when everybody really likes to go complex with the gear. That's when they like to pull something out of the hat that they wouldn't normally do. It's an extravaganza and you want that glamorousness. You want that that show stopping appeal. But at the same time, you know, with the network, we have pay-per-views like twice a month and everybody wants to debut new gear at pay-per-views. You know, you got two rosters now. So it's literally never ending. Like at one point a couple months ago, actually, you know, I want to say September, October, November, we had a pay-per-view every other week. You know, you'd get done with gear for one pay-per-view and you'd immediately start on the gear for the next pay-per-view. And you had two weeks to do that. But then as soon as that's done, you're right back onto the other roster. So it just doesn't stop sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you just got to just tell people, like, all right, I got to take a couple of days off to just like get my mind right because I'm getting cabin fever just sitting in my house sewing all day. <laughs> I remember talking with Kofi uh, quite a few years back now, but where he was talking about it. It's not it's not mandated by the office, but it's certainly uh, would not look favorably if you were on pay-per-view and didn't have something new to uh, to wear for pay-per-view. Oh, well, it's not so much something new. Well, I, I know some guys, Kofi, one of them being like, 
they just they love having new gear. They love having new looks. And it is it's very favorable to where it's from a marketing standpoint, it's whenever you keep having new gear, new looks, it allows for a lot more, you know, marketability, you know, it just looks good on TV. Action figures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The one thing that is, you know, kind of frowned upon is just showing up with really dingy gear. Like you don't want to show up, you know, with the same dingy gear week in, week out. And just, it doesn't look good on you. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah it definitely absolutely. does. Absolutely. So, I mean, Kofi, uh, the New Day, fantastic. Do you work on the New Day's gear? Uh, actually, I don't. They actually get their gear from uh, Main Event Wrestling. They've been working with those guys for years. I know Woods and Kofi have been going to them for years. And, you know, once E hooked up with New Day, he started using them as well. Yeah, like well, one thing I try to tell people is that if you find a good gear guy that you're comfortable with, stick with them. Like nothing hurts more than having a loyal customer just all of a sudden leave and go to someone else. But at the same time, the workload becomes so tremendous that I tell people you should have two or three people that make your gear just because I might not be able to do it. So someone else can hop on it. And if they do, me personally, I am not offended by it. I feel like you need to do what's best for your character and what's best for your career. And if that means going to someone else to get new gear, that's completely fine with me. I will be here to help you out when you want to get gear from me as well. Yeah, it's just if you have someone in the pocket that you are comfortable with, stay loyal to them because it pays a dividend in the end. So let's talk about some of your favorite designs then. I, I'm sure some of Sasha's stuff is some of your favorite stuff, right? Definitely. One of the reasons being is because she gets so much gear, like so much gear that it's forced me to start playing with new color combinations and pattern combinations. Like I feel like, and you'll, you'll notice it on TV, like you'll see certain color combinations that are always used black, white, and red, uh, blue and yellow, like blue and silver. Those are combinations that are tried and true. They're always going to look good. And they're always going to you know, pop on screen. But with Mercedes getting so much gear, I've played with so many different color combinations. So now I'm doing uh, black and copper, purple and green, just trying to find ways of making it look unique to that person and making it look like something you hadn't seen before. Anybody else that you can think of that you uh, really want to point out as some of your favorites in terms of the gear that you've made for them? Uh, it's it's so hard. Like They're all your children, right? <laughs> I love yeah, I love the stuff I do for Bailey. Like it, I make so much gear now that sometimes like I have to write receipts for people, and I completely like I'm like, hey, I'm two months behind because I'm just I keep making gear. Um, I do love the uh, the referee jersey that I made for Shane uh, for SummerSlam because. We were trying to find the right fabric that had the right, you know, weight and pattern to it. And what people don't know is referee baseball jerseys, they just don't make them. So I had to purchase actual referee shirts and cut those up and use that fabric to make the jerseys. So wow. it's, it's, it's stuff like that where like you don't expect it to be as hard, but then all of a sudden the time comes and it is, but you want to come through. So you just do whatever you can to make it happen. And also, I mean, we talked about New Day and Xavier Woods. You've become a fixture on the up, up, down, down stuff on YouTube. I'm not much of a gamer myself, but I know you are. And you've had a lot of fun doing that stuff with those guys. New Day is great. I love those guys to death because they're just, they're 
passionately optimistic. They're always having fun. They're always smiling. Like you can't not smile around them. And I tell people this a lot. Like Xavier Woods is one of the hardest working people I know. That guy, he's a WWE superstar. He's turned a passion for video games into this insanely popular YouTube channel. He's, I think he has his PhD in early childhood education doing this all while wrestling. And I tell people all the time, like a lot of times I sit there and if I feel like I'm working hard, if I feel like, yeah, you know, I'm putting in all this work, I'll literally think, I'm like, hey, I'll see what he's accomplished. I'm like, nah, bro, you're not working hard enough. Like there's a lot more you can do. So yeah, I, I, I love those guys to death. It's just being a part of that whole up, up, down, down crew, literally from its inception all the way to where it is now, over a million subscribers on YouTube. It's fantastic. Like, yeah, I love it. I, if, I, if I could do that forever, I would. Well, speaking of doing it forever, how long do you see yourself doing this costume design stuff for WWE? In all honesty, I don't know. Like, I love what I do. I don't feel like I'm working when I do it. It gets tedious at times when I'm just locked away in a room, but like, I actually, I'm actually having fun doing what I'm doing. But at, at the end of the day, I feel like my heart and soul is storytelling. I think that's what drove me to wrestling. Aside from the athletics of it, I just, I like doing flips. But even with the gear now, I always try to imbue a little bit of story into every set of gear. So like you'll notice with Mercedes, a lot of times whenever she has a really big match or anything coming up, you'll see the pink and yellow come out. Because I had made her first set of gear when she first started wrestling on the indies and it was yellow, pink and black. I remember it. Yes. Yeah. So we like, so we always, you know, we always try to like skew to that whenever anything big happens. So when she first became a heel in NXT, she was wearing a uh, yellow and pink. When they did the NXT TakeOver Respect, the first time women have ever headlined a WWE special, she was wearing yellow and pink. So it's important to me to see that through line, that little story between the gear. It doesn't matter if other people see it, but if they pick up on it, it's really good. Speaking of uh, Mercedes gear, uh, Eddie Guerrero, of course, a big influence on her. And I know that you did some gear for her, I think for WrestleMania, that was inspired by Eddie Guerrero, right? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. First of all, seeing that gear on a Barbie doll is amazing to me. Like (laughs) we had been wondering, we had been wondering if that was ever going to become a figure. And the fact that it was the first set of gear on a Barbie doll that was released as a Comic-Con exclusive when the first line first came out was just like mind blowing. Just seeing that it was, oh, it's awesome. But um, yeah, so her first mania, we had decided we wanted to go with a you know Eddie Guerrero theme. And I remember just trying my hardest to talk her into wearing pants because she wanted to wear shorts, which is why if you notice, she, she has an Eddie Guerrero pair of shorts also. So she wanted to wear shorts. I was trying to talk her into wearing pants and she, was, she wasn't sure about it. And it got to the point that I was like, all right, you know what? I'm making you pants and I'm making you shorts and we're going to try them both on and you're going to decide, decide then. So when she put on the pants, she was like, all right, we'll go with the pants. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people out there, they're wondering like how that would come across, like if it would be frowned upon or whatever, like it was for her. It wasn't so much for if the fans would like it, it was something special to her. And it turned out that Eddie's daughter, Shawl and his wife, Vicky, like they loved it. And then we saw them a week later, either that week or a week later in Houston. And, you know, they were so happy that Mercedes had done it because, you know, Shawl and Mercedes were in FCW together and she knew how much her dad meant to Mercedes as a person. And so it just to see her 
devote that much of her energy into paying homage to her dad like really meant a lot there that's uh that's tremendous uh brian you got anything else for our friend mikazi here just uh, nothing but appreciation for you coming on and and, and i think uh not just for coming on here, but appreciation for the time that I think we've spent in locker rooms and spent in the ring together. I have, and not just because you're on this podcast, but truly, truly one of my favorite opponents, uh, one of the best guys that that I've ever been in the ring with, and somebody who I don't. I mean, you talked about you did get some chances to appear on TV and in Ring of Honor, but to me, you're a guy that probably hasn't gotten the due that he deserves. So. You know, as one professional to another, I just want you to know how much I, I respect and appreciate uh, all the times we got to lock horns. Oh, thank you very much, man. It means a lot. And like, I just, I know one of my goals was to always, like, one of my goals in wrestling was just to become someone that younger guys would want to go up to and ask for advice. You know, they would ask to watch their match and, you know, let them know what I thought. And to this day, I never thought that I would be the type of person that would be in that position, but. It started happening and I was more than, you know, more than welcome to give my advice to any guys about what was going on in the ring. And I still have hundreds and hundreds of hours of things to learn as far as wrestling goes. You never stop learning. But, you know, to be able to imbue any whatever little knowledge I have towards them was really it meant a lot. Yeah. And I just want to echo what Malona said. Always like one of the most humble and easygoing and reliable guys in the chaotic wrestling locker room. And I'm sure it's the same way with where you are now. And it's kind of like, I mean, you talked about Brian, how, you know, he got his one chance to appear on the TV. I think, you know, in a way he's appearing on TV every week now. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> he, it's, it's there. Like you can, you can feel the uh, connection, you know? So where can people follow you online? As of right now, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Mikazi. Not on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook anymore because I used to have a personal and a wrestling one. And long story short, someone decided to report my wrestling one as a fraud. So then I had to do all this different stuff. Long story short, Facebook says I can only have one Facebook page. So I have one personal one that's completely dedicated to a family. Other than that, yeah, Twitter and Instagram. Although I will be starting a YouTube channel soon. so. All right. We'll keep an eye out for that. It's really a, a great thrill to have you here on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Really appreciate your time, Akazi. Thanks so much. Uh, anytime. Anytime you guys want me, I'm here. I love talking to old friends, so it was a blast. Okay, that will do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Makazi. Let us know on social media what you think and who you'd like to hear in the future. And again, keep a lookout for a random live video on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube as we navigate this strange new world. A video, I mean. So until the next live video, or the next episode, I'm Mike Crockett. Big ups to Mako, and thanks for nothing.